Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dr. Richard McCallum. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Investigative Medicine, the main journal of the American Federation for Medical Research. And as such, I review all the articles that are submitted and published in the Journal of Investigative Medicine. And certainly as we've reviewed the number of Twitters and social media activities and acknowledged the reading of our articles. One that jumps out this year is actually one that I was involved with, interestingly enough, uh, the concept of cannabinoid-induced uh, hyperemesis, uh, sometimes uh, connected to cyclic vomiting syndrome. So what we do every month is we pick some interesting topics, often based on what month it is, hepatitis month, HIV month, thyroid, um, colon cancer. This month, we don't really have a, uh, a true disease of, uh, of uh, marijuana or cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, but given its, its very important role in uh, vomiting that we see in gastroenterology, and I'm a gastroenterologist, uh, and given the interest we've noticed with our article that was published earlier this year, I'm with encouragement from my colleagues um, from the editorial board. Uh, we feel that this is an under underappreciated and under, under not poorly well understood um, entity and that it would be time to um, focus on it. Interestingly enough, as, as soon as my article got published, I got a email from um, Mondo, whom you'll meet in a minute, Oscar Armando Dorantes, educating me about the mysteries of the marijuana plant and about the fact that uh, it's changed and that what we're smoking or vaporing or um, using as edibles. It's not uh, what people were using maybe 25 years ago. Maybe they were, but it's become more complicated uh, with some toxicity related to its growth. And so I began to learn from Mondo more about the mysteries of marijuana and the gut. And I thought if I was learning a lot, there's no question we could teach our colleagues out there looking after patients with the AFMR and other listeners about how the, all this fits in. So, so with that background, I'm going to introduce uh, to you our topic of um, disease marijuana and, and cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Uh, and we have an expert, luckily, to espouse and um, elaborate on this topic, Oscar Armando. Durantes, um, who's asked me to call him Mondo as his most, um, I guess, familiar term for his name. Uh, Mondo lives in San Diego. He came out of a military background, the 82nd Airborne Division um, in the 90s and um, evolved uh, further into U.S. Uh, Army civil affairs and psychological operations with the Airborne. And um, U.S. civil, uh, civil uh, affairs, 
and psychological operations. So he emerged and evolved um, into this kind of um, component of understanding perhaps psychological factors in the military and actually was involved in the first medical marijuana case in the military. Uh, that was a legal uh, problem. Later on, he developed uh, interest in anthropology, developed and obtained his degree in 2007. And um, in 2006 to 14, at Camp Pendleton, he was an archeologist, um, cultural monitoring, excavations, data analysis, writing reports and testing. More recently, uh, since 2014, as he puts it, uh, he's a stay-at-home dad. Uh, still very interested, involved in the in the world of um, archaeology, and is probably one of the experts in the country on on the growing and the purity of marijuana. So, with that brief introduction, Monda, let me first of all welcome you to our podcast. Thank you, thank you. Greetings for having me, Rastafari. Thank you. Um, so. Mundo wrote an editorial, I uh, wrote a letter to the editor soon after my publication, uh, and it was called Fool's Gold, uh, Diseased Marijuana and Cannabis Hyperemesis Syndrome. I, as a gastroenterologist, um, uh, felt I was an expert in uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, and we, uh, we, aspired, we, uh, we proposed that it was a, a a situation that developed after three to five years or more of chronic smoking every day, probably at least daily, and that there could be an accumulation in fat cells in the brain. There could be a, a total dose um, involved over time. And that in the setting of a constellation of, of clinical entities, such as stress, migraine, a subset of people who smoke marijuana chronically, maybe 25 to 30%, could suddenly present with cycles of vomiting and abdominal pain, typically every month or so, out of the blue, vomiting and abdominal pain, uh, vomiting for days, dry retching, severe pain, uh, often relieved by having hot showers and hot baths, and eventually coming to the emergency room and being involved with the medical world, never making a diagnosis or tests are normal. Things resolve and they come back again a month or so later, blamed on gastroenteritis, bad luck, food poisoning, uh, whatever else. But we, uh, we slowly began to get a grip on this and understood the fact that chronic marijuana use episodically produced attacks of vomiting. However, Mundo's has added a whole new twist to this uh, because with his research, he, he educated me uh, about the concept um, of an entity called the hop latent uh, viroid, or viroid, and uh, particularly in, in California's marijuana market. And um, Mundo, I might hand it back to you now to ask you to uh, educate and expand on this concept. Well, it was around uh, 2004 
and uh, we start seeing this marijuana that appeared to be like marijuana, but some things were different. There was no smell and uh, there is none of the, the sticky resin matter and there was no psychoactive effect. So it, it, at first it was, we, I saw it once in a while and then and, and, and this time I was still in college. Yeah. So of course the students in college, you know, that's what we do, but uh, we saw it and we saw it once in a while and we came up with this term called pretendica. Instead of indica, it was like pretend weed. And, uh, and as gradually as time went by, uh, more uh, frequently it was started appearing and it had a harsh taste and, and it, it, it didn't taste normal and it, it, it was something abnormal, something wrong. So I started thinking, could it be uh, that this is hemp? Is this genetics? Is, is something, what is going on? It's, it's not the same. Well, as it turns out that uh, many people in the industry uh, were just passing off uh, what we, what's called a dud marijuana, dud weed. And in California, there's no uh, required compliance testing for pathogens in marijuana. At this time, it's only testing for uh, mold and pesticides. And so uh, with smoking this type of marijuana, it, it just was a different effect. And in more time, it started becoming more uh, uh, prevalent. And, call, and you would see right away some people had uh, difficulties. And so um, I just started uh, documenting and, and it, it seeing the growth was different. Uh, the branches were growing lateral, stunted, and, and it just, we couldn't figure out what it was, but we knew something was wrong. And, we, and the term dudger's disease or duds came around from the growers. And basically we just knew that, hey, it's a dud, but still because of flourishing uh, the market mm -hmm. and the, the money made in the industry, uh, people were still passing this off to consumers. And um, as time went by and uh, people more and more started to recognize, I would say the older generation who are, are at least 40 years or 45 years and older would say, hey, this is, marijuana is not the same. It doesn't smell, it's supposed to be sticky. It, it, you were just seeing small little popcorn um, buds and um, and then there was a whole nother group of people who are the younger kids and generation that thought, oh no, this is correct. This is the way marijuana grows. So it, it's become a problem. Yep. And then further research, I tried to identify what was going on. And then uh, about two or three years ago, uh, there was a, a doctor at UC Davis that wrote a paper and identified, yes, there's a, a viroid causing these stutters disease. But now it's just so prevalent and so mainstream, it's, it's everywhere. And of course, uh, just like any smoker, if you take a smoke, a, a hit of something, and it's, it's harsh, it doesn't taste right, you stop, you don't take it no more. But it seems like there's no other marijuana. People are just continuing to use it because that's all there is. All right. Well, so getting back to the clinical extrapolation, are you proposing perhaps that this uh, viroid uh, is in a certain percent, not every marijuana plant probably in the country. And is it potentially possible that this group of marijuana plants that contain the viroid after time, after chronic intake, could have a toxic effect on the GI tract or could induce 
episodes of vomiting? Is that one way of integrating the viroid uh, infection concept uh, with the clinical scenario? Well, I, I can only try to uh, make the connection myself, but you got to remember there's different methods of using marijuana. There's edibles, there's smoking, pipes, bongs, and, and, and joints, and then vaping now. So, uh, and everybody does uh, consume the marijuana differently, and even smoking. On the bong, there's a carburetor, so you can add more air or oxygen to the hit, and that mixes the potential or the potency. It changes when you do that. So everybody has their own way. And, and what's specific about this uh, viroid that it's doing is that marijuana is supposed to have the resin, the, the white res, sticky resin that's on the plant. And that's the psychoactive matter that uh, the, the consumers seek. So when, when this viroid attacks the plant, uh, what happens is just, uh, it could be either normal for a long time, you don't uh, see any symptoms, and then at the last minute, it just starts to dud out. And what happens to the resin, it, it degrades. Or you might have it from a, the disease from passed on from a clone, which is a cutting, and you'll see uh, symptoms of the disease right away. And, there, and at, at, the, at that, uh, when that happens, there's uh, probably no resin, I have seen no trichomes resin grown on the plant at all. Where you, so you just end up with marijuana that looks like plain leafy matter. So uh, what could be happening is people getting an adverse reaction from smoking too much of the leafy matter that has no resin, because what happens is people are smoking more, like five to six times more to obtain that same psychoactive uh, uh, high that was there before, but now because the weed is dudded down, they're consuming more. So when, when people smoke, the term I use is ditch weed. The, the, the marijuana that has low medicinal value and it's not grown outdoors and exposed to the elements. It's the, and what's happening now is like, it seems like all the, the, the marijuana, and, and I'm gonna say that I've, I've looked and I, I've seen it everywhere in every state, many people are, are complaining about it and it's just now coming into the media and limelight, but it didn't happen overnight. It's been happening for a very long time. It's just now coming and waking people up, people up and make a connection to uh, cannabis uh, hypermesis syndrome. So uh, any type of um, marijuana that has the no resin on it, it's gonna look plain. It's gonna look just like leafy matter, but from a distance, it will still look like marijuana. Sure. And to people who don't, are not familiar with it, they're still gonna do it, they're still gonna try it because that's what's being served. So, uh, Yes, for myself, I have, when that's dud, uh, marijuana diseased weed started coming around, yeah, me and my friends would take a toke and try it and it would taste harsh and it abnormal reactions and the nausea and right away I'd stop. Uh, but then you have others that continue and uh, use these methods of uh, edibles, mm -hmm. which is very important because it seems that there's more discussion of uh, adverse reactions happening from edibles. And what's going on with that is that there's different methods for preparation of these edibles. And uh, one of the very important steps that I, I've noticed some uh, uh, professional uh, ma uh, makers or creators of uh, culinary arts and these marijuana edibles, 
there's a procedure called like, I would say a, a dry herbal roast. We, we roast the herb on the uh, cookie sheet in the oven for 15 minutes. And that's uh, allegedly causes decarbonization, decarbonization of the marijuana. And at, at second, and uh, uh, also allegedly uh, uh, burns off the toxins. So that's one method that people use that might alleviate or not see all the symptoms. Because when they don't do that and they just use the marijuana and process it, and it could still contain whatever contaminants or uh, uh, other toxins are in there. You see, when there is, this resin is not uh, on the herb, the main job of the resin is to not only have the psychoactive material, but it protects the plant. It creates like a barrier, protected from disease and, 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 and uh, other insects and debris or toxins. So when this protective sticky barrier is not there, it, it means whatever the grower or the farmer used uh, on the foliage, there's a lot of different, and again, there's different methods that people use. Uh, there's, uh, you can spray uh, nutrients, you can spray fungicide, pesticides uh, on the foliage. There's uh, even flavoring because of the dudding out of the marijuana, some growers even spray some type of artificial flavoring. So without this sticky resinous barrier there, so it, it just goes straight onto the plant. And then, so I started wondering, is this what's happening? Is this what's going on? And you, what you do, when you examine uh, the, the herb uh, and, you know, under uh, the microscope or uh, a jeweler's loop I use, it's, the trichomes are uh, degraded and deformed and it doesn't do the job it's supposed to do, which is protect uh, the plants and creating this protective barrier and also uh, producing the psychoactive uh, resin that's in the trichomes. Right, so what one could say that um, besides the psychoactive component of marijuana, when you're smoking it, you could be um, ingesting toxins of this of this virus, uh, the uh, the hop latent viroid, and or toxins of fertilization and growing techniques, so that um, beyond the the uh, use of marijuana for relaxation or for getting high, if I'm chronically using it for, I don't know, maybe relieving pain or nausea or just using it recreationally, I am really uh, ingesting or smoking a contaminated plant. Uh, and there are toxins potentially that are accumulating in my system, right? Yes, that's what, that's what uh, I try to... Uh, uh... Would make the, was making trying to make the connection. I wouldn't say that the, the thyroid itself is causing harm to the individual, but it's the, the abnormal uh, uh, growth and, and, and production of the plant that it's causing. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, without this sticky resin mm -hmm. of the trichomes, they're basically just smoking the green leafy matter. Now, you may argue then, you know, like we do, um, if 100 people start smoking marijuana today, uh, what's their natural history? Well, we in medicine say maybe 30% or so end up in a doctor's office eventually in the next one to five years uh, with cycles of vomiting, so-called cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. 
And people say, well, who are those 25 or 30 percent? How are they chosen? Well, we in medicine would say it's because of a conspiracy of other clinical factors. If people get extremely stressed out, uh, that may evoke a breakthrough. Normally, marijuana is supposed to be a positive thing to limit nausea. But if it becomes maybe accumulated and you combine it with extreme stress, you could end up with this paradoxic effect, so to speak, of vomiting. Or uh, maybe it's a subset of people with migraine headaches, which evolves into nausea and which maybe combined with marijuana could end up with a vomiting cycle. We haven't really come up with a, a total scenario. So what's interesting is this new paper that you're aware of by Ethan Russo, where he looked at um, it users um, and proposed that hyperemesis syndrome could be related to a genetic component. He found that um, there were associated mutations in genes which affected neurotransmitters, the endocannabinoid system, cytochrome P450 complex, which is associated with cannabinoid metabolism. And therefore, his sort of conclusion in this paper was that there may be some genetically predisposed people that when they chronically and continuously uh, pursue this uh, ingestion, five mutations, he thought, um, might, might make symptoms evolve and develop into this rather vomiting cycle that's called hyperemesis cannabis, and that uh, we may be needing to look for uh, those genetic factors in our patients, uh, as well as maybe your proposal is to maybe assign marijuana to, you know, more investigation or more purity checking uh, before it's actually made available to the public. But why don't you make some comments for me on the genetic factor? I think you're aware of that paper. Yes. Well, I'm not too surprised. You know, people are allergic to many different things and and people have allergies. And yes, maybe there is uh, people who are allergic. But the thing is, to solve the problem first, you have to look at the marijuana that's being dosed to the in these studies or the marijuana used by the patients. Not all the marijuana is the same. And when I'm talking about examining, you have to look at it under uh, uh, the jeweler's loop or microscope or uh, magnification. And you're not going to have any two harvests the same. And that could explain why sometimes some people get sick and sometimes they don't or some people do. So I would say definitely I haven't seen any paper related to CHS where they actually photograph the the marijuana in question and and really examine it or test it for any pathogens. So that would be the first thing. And then also with this uh, connection of people being allergic, um, I I wouldn't be surprised if both of these theories are uh, uh, true and uh, actually compound the issue. Because what happens in this dud uh, marijuana, people are smoking more and more, trying to get the same effect. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also, is there any connection with uh, patients who develop CHS from using 
topical uh, THC creams or ointments. I have yet to see any uh, research on that, but I have heard discussion from patients that there is some type of connection with that. So there is a lot more to be done from here. And with uh, Dr. Ethan Russo's paper, uh, from what I uh, read, it was only about uh, between 12 and 24 uh, patients that actually uh, agreed to the genetic testing. Yeah. So, uh, but definitely the first step is to make sure the marijuana consumed is real marijuana, not the, the dud, the fake stuff that's passed off or the ditch weed, because that's going to cause all kinds of problems. And is this examined uh, under um, the microscope, under a magnification, uh, physically observing what's in there, what do the trichomes look like and what's, what mold is in there. And as the industry, we all know, and many of reports and, 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 and the media, and stories have gone into how these testing facilities who label and tell you how much percentage the THC is and if whether it has a mold or pesticides, they're, they're on the pay. They, they get uh, kickbacks and this and that and they adjust the, the weights and they make adjustments uh, to, for uh, these growers and the dispensaries to make their stuff look good. Mm. And uh, so it, it, there's a lot of, uh, questions that need to be answered about this. Armando, um, let me start to wind up and ask you a question about the future. I mean, right now we've got some states legalizing it. It seems to be, I've got friends of mine who have farms in California making a boatload of money. Um, it seems to be a pretty freewheeling dealing world right now with marijuana farms and selling it and, you know, trying to make money. Uh, where, where do you see marijuana in the future really being sold and how can it be really given to the public or entrusted to the public without more scrutiny? Uh, well, what, what do you, uh, what, what do you predict is going to happen to the industry of marijuana? Well, I definitely believe that the, uh, an entire industry reset is going to happen. Hmm. You can't take marijuana and sell it like uh, gold or jewelry in a jewelry store. Mm -hmm. We're talking about uh, something that represents the tree of life in many cultures. And if studies have shown that uh, marijuana can uh, affect cancer and reduce and shrink cancer tumors, it helps epilepsy. And many studies, even going back to 1975, but why is it that these ailments and diseases still exist? It's because not all marijuana is the same. Some marijuana don't have any medicinal value. But the true real marijuana with the sticky resin, we call the real dank, uh, could uh, cure disease. So once this, uh, industry this industry realizes that this problem needs to be uh, controlled, managed, and, and, and really look at the hop uh, industry, the cultivar industry and the hop industry, they regulate it, they control this disease. This disease is controlled in our food uh, industry. So it, it is possible to get this under control. And the way they do it is they use chlorine dioxide. It's a clean water uh, integrated pest management and it controls all these diseases and regular testing. And that's what needs to be done in the industry. Mm -hmm. that there needs to be a regular uh, cultivar certification system that these hope latent viroid and other pathogens like tobacco mosaic virus which is fairly more easier to identify because it has um, it, it's easier uh, visible to the naked eye, okay. and 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 people will 
the industry will reset. Yes, it, it needs to be done. And uh, along with the social smoking clubs, because there's a lot of, once this problem gets fixed and, and the real marijuana comes back, there's going to be an increase of uh, an emergency room uh, calls or visits for psychosis. So the strong marijuana is really powerful uh, and uh, psychoactive. Yeah. So that's that's on the flip side that be prepared for that when the, the real marijuana comes back there could be an increase of uh, er calls for psychosis so that's why it's important that uh, social clubs and and, and this, this industry uh, gets back into the way it should be and that's where taking it out of like a jewelry store environment and only money and, and being exchanged see the, the markup of marijuana shouldn't be that much it right. shouldn't be that profitable Mm-hmm. And and it should be for people come together and socialize and do other things. So it's there should be an industry reset, and there's already people talking about it. If you Google it, all the media is, is getting involved, and that's what I'm doing now in San Diego, trying to establish a, a, with these labs, the club clients labs, is a certification system for cultivars and 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 and. Uh, growing of, of marijuana farms of certifying that they're free of diseases and pathogens and trying to really clean this up and, and, and really bring back and restore the true form of marijuana and to bring back the medicinal value. And the number one thing is to kill cancer. And that's, that's the biggest thing, getting back into that path of epilepsy, getting, uh, helping these people with these diseases and shrinking tumors and, and, and really restoring the tree of life to what it can do. Well, it's very, very interesting. And congratulations on all the work you're doing and the commitment you've made and the important observations you've you've brought to our attention uh, in the past and particularly on today's conversation. I've learned a lot and I know our our listeners are learning a lot and uh, they're going to be aware of this as we start to encounter more patients, as you say, with marijuana-related symptoms and problems. So thanks for sensitizing us and... uh, educating us. We appreciate it. Good luck there with uh, your work in San Diego. Thank you for having me, Rastafari. Peace and love. All right. And um, we'll stay tuned on the genetic aspects, which is probably going to be part of the uh, science world. I'll probably uh, hope that we can publish articles like that in, in Journal of Investigative Medicine. So colleagues of the AFMR and other listeners, thank you again for Hearing our podcast, we plan to have obviously one a month or maybe more. And uh, we look forward to any feedback you may want to give us on social media, Twitter, whatever, how to further improve and maybe have other subjects or topics that you might recommend to me. Um, So this is Richard McCallum um, signing off. First of all, let me make sure you understand that this is made possible by Karina Espino, who works with me on this podcast and really makes it all happen and gets me ready and prepared. And uh, it'll be uh, posted, I guess, early next week and available. And so we look forward again uh, to meeting you on our next session. All the very best and good afternoon.